Now, how many of you in this room know what this interesting creature is in my hands? I think there'll be another picture of it on the stage. Many of you? If you don't have kids, I'd be very, very surprised if you knew what this was. But that's right. So last year, there was an all-out war across stores, literally all around the country, to come home with one of these hit toys called the Hatchable. Now, as crazy as it may seem, the premise behind this toy is that there would be an egg that these creatures come in. You can see it on that picture. But you wait until it slowly but surely pecks its way out of the egg to find out what kind of creature you have won. And it is a very odd creature indeed. Now, it was interesting. My sister-in-law was able to secure one of those somehow, some way. And so she decided she was going to give it as a gift to all of our kids at our family Christmas gathering last year. And it's very interesting You saw that picture on the screen of of all the kids around the table. Literally for 30 minutes, all of these kids just waited. They sat there around this egg and they just watched and they got on their tiptoes just to see what creature would come out of this egg. Now, what's not in this picture is the fact that all of their parents are right behind them, standing just like this, just to also see what was going to happen. This, to me, is a perfect picture of a word that we often use called anticipation. Anticipation. Whether you've realized it or not this morning, we have been trying to build a sense of anticipation in you this evening. I mean, you think about it. We started the service with a countdown video, and that goal in that was to build some anticipation for the service. Later, we all, you could almost feel the anticipation of the room as we waited to find out what was in boxes one, two, and three. And then, kids, you were just given a gift that you have to anticipate waiting to open until tomorrow morning. Now, our goal in all of this is to give you just a small glimpse of the feeling 2,000 years ago as God's people waited for him to fulfill his greatest promise. You see, theirs was a world a lot like ours. It was a world that could be characterized by darkness. There was brokenness. There was pain. There was hardships, difficult circumstances, there are broken relationships, all the things that exist today and have existed ever since the fall of man and woman into sin in the Garden of Eden, they were all existent in that day. One of the greatest evidences of that darkness, of course, was a painful reality that probably all of us know too well, the painful reality of death. But it was in the midst of this darkness that God had made a very great promise to his people. He had told them that he was going to bring about salvation, that he was going to rescue them from the darkness, that that through the Messiah, who he would send, there would be a coming kingdom that would be everything that our hearts long for. In the same way that all of us today, we long for purpose, we long for identity, we long for lasting joy, real peace. They all long for those same things. And God promised to bring about a kingdom That would be described by all of those terms. A kingdom that death could not conquer. A kingdom that changes everything. Well, God's people had to wait for that promise, as we just talked about with the kids' homily. They had to wait for many years. For many of us, we quickly moved from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But that one page in between the Old Testament where God had made his promises and the New Testament where we're introduced to Jesus, that was 400 years Imagine generation after generation, year after year, God's people saying, God, when are you going to bring about this kingdom? When are you going to send the Messiah to save us? 
Well, we are here tonight celebrating Christmas because God did fulfill that promise. And yet the problem for many of us in this room is that he brought about this promise in a way that could never have been anticipated. You see, God knew that no amount of angels, no amount of of humans who were flawed by sin, no amount of the greatest of the world could rescue us from our sin. There's no none of us in this room that could drive back the darkness. And so we read something unbelievable in John chapter 1, verse 14. And that's the one verse I want us to focus on this evening. It's going to be on the screen. The Word of God says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Later in verse 16, it goes on to say, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Now, if you haven't been with us the last few Sundays, we've taken those Sundays to really study this amazing chapter, John chapter one, where where the apostle John tells us the identity of Jesus and he calls Jesus the word. When he talks about Jesus already in these verses, he's already told us many things. He's told us that Jesus was there in the beginning, that nothing that has been created, look at out in this world, nothing that has been created was created apart from him, that Jesus was God and Jesus was with God, which of course is our Christian understanding of the Trinity. So already he said a lot about Jesus, but he takes it a step further here Because what does he say here? He says that in Jesus, God came and dwelled among us. He came and he dwelled among us. The infinite became finite, fully God, fully man. The invisible became visible in such a way that we could know him. In such a way that we could receive his grace. It's an amazing passage. And this is so important, I think, for all of us to understand because this is what makes Christmas significant. Yes, you can know about God by looking and observing creation and the wonder of it all. Yes, you can know about God by reading the Old Testament and seeing how God works. But what he is saying is that the ultimate revelation of God himself is Jesus. This baby born in a manger, this baby that grew up. To live a sinless life. This baby that died on the cross for our sins. This Jesus is how we can know God. It's this reality that we just sang about in the classic hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Charles Wesley, when he's writing it, he said these words, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hell the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. That name Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus came to bring salvation to the world. He came to drive back the darkness. But he was not what people were anticipating. And this is what becomes an issue, I think, for many people, even in our day, 2,000 years later. You see, the people of that time, they were anticipating a Messiah that would come with great fanfare. Perhaps they envisioned a, a really influential political figure. Or maybe a charismatic, charismatic, powerful leader. But instead, Jesus came in the most humble way possible. Jesus was born in a stable to a teenager in a backwood town called Bethlehem. And if that were not enough, Jesus' entire life continued along that same trajectory. 
He did not call his disciples to attain worldly power and wealth and influence and worldly possessions. But instead, what did he call them to? Sacrifice and service, humility, holiness. Jesus did not spend his time with the elite of the elite, the summa cum laude, the religious elite of his day. But instead, what did he do? He poured his life into 12 ordinary fishermen. And he spent a lot of his time hanging out with people the world described as sinners, the people that no one else wanted to be around. And if that were not enough, the only crown that was ever put on Jesus' head was not a crown of gold, was it? But instead it was a crown of thorns as he was mocked, as he was tortured, and eventually he was sentenced to die the death of a criminal on the cross. People looked at Jesus and they said, how could that be God? How could that be the Messiah that we've been waiting for? Jesus was not what the world was anticipating. But, friends, we are here this Christmas evening because while he not have, might not have been the Messiah that the world was anticipating, he is the Messiah that we most need. Why is that? Because Jesus' rule, his rule was never meant to be established on physical thrones. But instead, it was to be established on human hearts that put their trust in him, that, that gave him everything. That's where his kingdom would be established and grown. Many people, even perhaps some of you in this room this evening, think your greatest enemy is another person. Or maybe that your greatest enemy is difficult circumstances or a bad health uh, report or something else, this great enemy. But Jesus knew that our greatest enemy was none of those things. He knew that the greatest enemy that we had was the darkness and sin that exists within. Unless we were forgiven of that sin, unless that sin could be washed clean, there was no hope that the darkness would ever be driven back. You see, Jesus came himself because he knew that only he could rescue us in the way that we most needed. John tells us that he came full of truth and grace. And both of those things are important. Because what scripture tells us is that we want to receive the salvation that that Jesus brings. We have to both believe his truth, the truth of the gospel, but we also must receive his grace. On the one hand, we must believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he truly is the son of God, that he came as God to rescue us from our sins. But on the other hand, we have to believe what Jesus has said about us, that we are sinners in need of forgiveness, that apart from his salvation, we're separated from him now and for eternity. We have to believe that Jesus was not just a baby that stayed in a manger, but that Jesus grew up and lived the perfect sinless life that none of us could live. And then he died on the cross as a punishment, not for his sin, but for all of our sins. He took upon himself the punishment of sin of the world for us so that we could have life, spiritual life, everlasting life, eternal life that we never deserved. This is an amazing gift. But as with any other gift, it must be received. God's grace is available absolutely to each one of you today. But here's the problem. You cannot earn it. I wonder how many of you tomorrow morning, if you're going to give a gift to somebody, are going to give it to them and say, now I expect you to pay for this or I expect you to earn it. I don't plan on doing that with my kids. Hey, Brady, go work for three hours and then you can have this gift that I've given you. I don't think that's going to go well. A Christmas gift must simply be received, right? Well, listen to this, what this passage says about salvation. Ephesians chapter 2. 
It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of your works, so that no one may boast. God has brought about the salvation you need, but it must be received. How is it received? It is received by receiving Jesus, by believing who is who he says he is, by giving him all that you have in your life, saying, Jesus, I trust that your death on the cross is enough to bring forgiveness for my sins. Because of what Jesus has done, God's grace is available to all of you this evening. The question is, have you received this amazing gift? the gift of Christmas. Have you received Jesus? For all of us here, no matter if you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, it would be ridiculous to celebrate Jesus's birth tomorrow morning, but then to live every other day as if he never came. That God came and dwelled among us and died for us and brought us salvation and raised from the dead. If that is true, it changes everything. It changes how we act, not just on Christmas morning, but how we act on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday of the work week. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every day that goes by. It changes everything. Like the wise men who came a few years after Jesus' birth and they laid their treasures at his feet, we too should be a people that respond to what Jesus has done by giving him all of our lives, laying it at his feet, saying, Jesus, we lay these things down because you are the greatest treasure. You're the greatest gift. Therefore, all of our lives we give to your hands. Like the shepherds and Mary, we too should worship Jesus and respond by sharing with others who he is and what he has done. Tonight, Jesus offers you grace upon grace. I love that verse. Grace upon grace. Grace for salvation. Grace for battling sin. Grace for your worst days, your most difficult circumstances. Grace for your relationships. Grace for your greatest days, your greatest victories. Grace upon grace. The question for you this evening is how are you responding to Jesus? If you do not receive him, you will not receive his grace. My prayer for you, though, for each one of you, is that you would receive his grace. That we would worship Jesus and give him everything because he is worthy. I'm going to read that last, that verse one more time. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace.